Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. You said that people have perceptions of you. What do they say? The guy never smiles. The guy is ruthless. And what's the truth? The truth is that there is some truth on it. <laughs> Nothing can replace a feeling of playing football at this level. The team is the engine of the club. We've got an amazing squad here. Oh, leave it out. <laughs> it's only the second time that I get a job in mid-season. Never seen someone covered Twitter, Instagram. Oh my god! Oh, <laughs> if you make a lot of noise, I give one more day off. What happened to us this season is impossible. The last thing Spurs need right now. How do we do that? Tottenham are out. We are on shutdown. Coronavirus has led to the cancellation of all football. Well, the team are good guys. But good guys, they never win. Play aggressive. How is that right? Play, please. And believe that we can win. Courage, honesty, friendship. That's the most important thing in life and in football. Hello and welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. You can find us on Twitter at Last Word on Spurs. We're on Instagram at Last Word on Spurs. And of course, we're on Facebook too at Last Word on Spurs. We can also be found on iTunes, Audio Boom, Spotify, all across the audio platforms. You will find Last Word on Spurs if you search us up. Thank you ever so much once again for joining us. We are here to review episodes four to six of the Tottenham Hotspur documentary All or Nothing with Amazon. We were very lucky at the last word on Spurs to be provided with early access to this show. Hence the reason we are coming to you very early for instant review to this special, special show. Delighted to have with me three of our regular panel on the last word on Spurs to look back 
at these episodes. So, without further ado, Lee McQueen is here. Lee, how are you? Very well, thanks, Rick. Really, really well. Another three explosive episodes to uh, to review and look forward to. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic, the, the insight that we're getting. So, yeah, looking forward to the show. Indeed. Delighted to also have alongside Lee, we've got Jamie from the Daily Hotspur. Jay, how are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Ricky. And, um, yeah, really looking forward to looking at these three because, obviously, a lot, to, a lot of content was in there. So, yeah, really excited for this one. Fantastic. And we're also pleased to be joined twice in a week Back for the Amazon review. Chris Cowlin is back on the last word on Spurs. Chris, how are you? Very good, Rick. Excited to be back on and uh, and talk about these three explosive episodes again. Yeah, we've been very, very lucky. Like I say, having that early coverage has really allowed us to look back at these quite far in depth in advance. So we're bringing you, like I say, instant reaction. And Chris, I'm going to start with you because episode four opens with Tottenham Hotspurs staff Christmas party where Daniel Levy addresses the room saying... We all want Christmas presents. I asked Father Christmas for one or two. Number one was to finish in the top four. And the second was to win a trophy. Neither of what Spurs, as we know, went on to achieve this season. Chris, very quickly on that, what was your thinking and how that played out with the Christmas party? Well, of course, back in November, um, Pochettino was obviously sacked. Jose Mourinho come in. Obviously, Daniel Levy and the board made that decision. Um, for us to finish again in the top four because we're very used to, or we were used to finishing there over the last uh, four or five seasons. And then, of course, a trophy is what we're lacking. We've, we've said it many, many times on this show, and I keep banging on about all these dates of the you know, last time we won a trophy. Of course, the last domestic trophy for Tottenham back in 2008. Um, we do need that trophy. We really, really do. Um, I like the fact that Daniel Levy um, said in front of Jose Mourinho on the stage, in front of all of the staff, the intent of, uh, of us wanting to finish in the top four. Of course, it is where we want to be year in, year out to get that Champions League space, because it's very important for the players. Uh, you know, for the management, for the for the board, and and ultimately the fans as well. And as I keep saying, the trophies we just hope that they do come very very soon. We do indeed, Chris. And we also, I must say, see you wishing everybody a merry Christmas. It was Chris Cowling's voice on the on that documentary, just so we're very very clear. Lee, coming around to you, we see the head of for medicine sure. and sports scientist Jeff Scott explain feeling the pressure and responsibility over Christmas to try and turn around the players to be you know, active and fit during this chaotic period. And he sits down with Jose Mourinho to talk him through the latest injuries, which unfortunately surround Danny Rose, Eric Dyer, Ben Davis and Kyle Walker-Peters. Mourinho tells assistant João Sacramento, it's fucked. I mean, how do you feel, Lee, about that? Because Mourinho doesn't hide throughout his frustration and anger when it comes to the injuries. And he he loves a swear word as well. I mean, are you quite surprised by just how animated he is by the injury news? Because at the time as fans, of course, we were gutted. They were dropping like flies. But did that surprise you about Mourinho, just how open he is and how frustrated he is in terms of his injuries? Actually, no. I mean, after watching the first three episodes, kind of getting an insight into kind of Jose's personality and, you know, he almost wears his heart on his sleeve, tell, tells it how it is. So he shows his emotion in that way. So I wasn't that surprised that he kind of reacted that way because, um, you know, we all felt it as fans, didn't we? Like, like you say, that everyone was dropping like, like flies. And I think that, you know, what was brilliant as well is that you saw um, clips of after, um, you, you know, the, the pressure almost that the medical uh, staff Jeff and, and his team that are under to, to try and get players fit, you know, and, and th- they look after the player. So the player is their number one responsibility, the, the individual. But obviously, Jose also looks after the team as well in terms of football results. So he wants them fit. 
and, and the medical team need to make sure that first and foremost it's their health and well-being first. It's a real fine balance, isn't it? And then and then you see like players that are actually looking at the Christmas schedule. And you know, you, we always like, I love Christmas schedules as a fan. You know, going home the way around the Christmas period is fantastic. You know, football is Christmas and Christmas is football type thing. But but you know, when you when you look at these elite athletes, and we've said it so many times on our shows, haven't we, in terms of you know, it's a it's a fine margin with a, in elite sport. And all it takes is that you're not five, you know, you're five percent down, or you, you've got a bit of a twinge or a tweak, and all of a sudden you can't play, and that that puts massive pressure on the medical team, um, and also obviously on, on on the football team itself. So yeah, I just thought it was really interesting to see how the mechanics internally are working around uh, around there, and especially the Christmas period as well. Jay, coming round to you, we see kit man Steve Jukes, who started off at the club as a steward in 1987, explain the feeling of the youngsters coming through with Javit Tanganga, Oliver Skip, and Troy Parrott promoted to the first team due to the amount of injuries the club were picking up at that time. And one of the most uplifting moments of episode four is Jaffet Tanganga's story and rising to the first team. The defender who had been at the club since he was nine revealed to the cameras that he cried a little prior to his Premier League debut for Spurs in the 1-0 defeat to Liverpool in January. And like I say, injury crisis, thrusted in, hackney-born lad, and he takes to the challenge like a duck to water and speaks passionately about his career to date, revealing that Chelsea scouted him at a very young age but did not snap him up. And he calls Jose Mourinho the best manager in the world. What was that like for you, Jay, watching that? One thing at Spurs, our academy is really, really important kind of to our club. I think we, we are very proud of some of the players that we've produced over the years. And as a club, you know, we pride ourselves on player development. So, you know, the academy for us is really, really important. Um, and of course, we've, you know, we built this fantastic Hotspur way where it's not just built for the first team, but it's also built for, you know, the, the younger players as well. And in terms of giving them facilities to go and best develop them and you know we, we have been really fortunate over recent years where we've produced some fantastic players of course the likes of Harry Kane, uh, Ryan Mason, uh, Andros Townsend and of course a lot more players have all gone on to have fantastic careers at kind of the top of football um, and, and Jaffa Tanganga of course is, is one that's really up and coming. Um, I thought his attitude just struck me as he was he really was quite fantastic you know, again, it's he, he is one of our own. And that's something that's really important to have in the team where you've got players that understand what the club's about, that are really willing to give everything for the club, that delighted to be here. And that's, you know, that's something we all want to have. You know, it's it's horrible when you've got players that aren't willing to kind of give everything for the for the club. And I think, we you know, we've experienced that on many occasions where you haven't got those players. But, you know, currently we've got a lot of you know players that really know what it means to play for Spurs. And Tanganga is a guy that, that really does excite me. I think he's got fantastic attitude um, and, yeah, really, really excited to kind of see more of him this season. And Chris, coming back round to you, as Jamie mentioned there, the rise of Tanganga. And we also saw that the teenager during a lunchtime break, I say they're, like, they're at school, a lunchtime break, sitting there eating away. Hummin Son is giving him a nudge saying, you know, you're going to sign this big money deal. And Jaffa is pretty much kind of saying, look, no, I don't know what's going on. He's kind of avoiding the subject, much to, like I say, the amusement of him. And we see the celebrations, Chris, of Serge Aurier's 24th birthday with Muta Sissoko presenting him with a cake. Um, it's very clear, Chris, that Aurier is quite well liked in that dressing room. What, what's your feelings in terms of how that played out? Because I just wonder whether that's maybe a reason why we aren't seeing his exit just yet. Of course, it's down to money. 
but he also seems to be quite a popular player in that dressing room. You know, when we spoke about it last week, about the first three episodes, and Jose then found out that Musa Zoko was, you know, a very big influence in the dressing room. Musa Zoko and Serge Aurier are very, very good friends. When it was Aurier's birthday and Zoko um, came in singing happy birthday, you know, it was it, it just showed that they were very, very close. Um, you know, a lot of the other players then joined in afterwards, but... Yeah, I think Serge Aurier is one of those um, characters in the dressing room. And I think that's why he looked so disappointed in, you know, episodes one to three when Jose said that he didn't trust him um, to give away a shit penalty. Um, but going back to Hudson and, and Tanganga in the in the canteen, I love to see yeah, stuff like that. I think yeah. hilarious, uh, the banter between the players, mm-hmm. you know, and at Me that too. point, hadn't even... Um, hadn't even played a competitive game. So he was already sad about a new contract. So it is very obvious these things are brought up between players because they're all knowing about contracts of who's not got one, who's about to sign one and who's going to be offered and one. And Daniel's sitting there, Chris. Uh, Daniel's sitting there as well at the same time. Exactly. I just thought it was hilarious how the camera sort of panned Daniel Levy. It panned around, didn't it? It's the sort of thing that all of us guys do as banter, you know, sort of nudging one another and go, oh, what about him? And, you know, we're having a laugh about it. They're very normal people. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a situation that they must talk about out, you know, privately. So I, I love that the cameras picked that sort of thing up. And this is exactly why I was looking forward to this series to just see lots of banter and lots of you know, silly stuff happen like that and see how players are with one another. Chris, just sticking with you, I want to get your reaction to this before I move on to Lee. We see, Chris, the players discuss what it's like having to play over that Christmas period and an emotive Jose Mourinho telling his squad his dog has passed on Christmas Eve and that's the reason why maybe, you know, they don't feel the warmth from him as much. And, you know, the fact that, you know, he's how emotional he is and he doesn't stop swearing. I mean, Chris is a kind of guy that you can tell he's very brutal and he very much kind of delivers the point straight. But he did seem absolutely devastated by the loss of his dog. He did. Absolutely devastated. And if you think back that he was only at the club for just a month, you know, things were very new. Players didn't know how to take him players didn't know uh you know what he was going to come out next um you know as lee said he swears a lot. you know we've seen it you know lots of times him swearing and, and and being in that way um but i've been very impressed with jose Mourinho in episodes that i've watched so far you know he's very touchy feely with the players he's very, very caring about the players he knows when to say things he knows when not to say things um yes he's very direct but i think he's a good directness you know in me and my life i like i like people to be direct with me you know exactly where you stand and I think that that's, uh, you know, a, a very good quality in, you know, certainly a, a professional football manager who has been there and done it uh, and won everything. And that's probably why, because he is very good at man management, which has actually really surprised me during this, these episodes, I must say. Um, but, yeah, he did look absolutely devastated, um, you know, particularly, you know, when you've got, uh, you know, one of your pets dying over that Christmas period. It must just be absolutely awful for him and his family. But he, he dealt with it in a in a very nice way. You know, Harry Kane then asked him, uh, you know, what sort of dog it was. And, you know, you just felt really sad and really sorry for him at that time. Coming around to you, Lee, I think one of the things to pick up on this is that the most notable absentee from this docuseries so far, and we're on four to six, and we can tell you, obviously, having seen four to six early on, that there's been no real mention about our record signing, Tungi Ondombele. Now, I know we've done many shows on Tungi recently, but admittedly, you know, his fellow big-name arrival in terms of Lo isn't really heavily featured also between these four to six. And, you know, Bernie Mar made all that speculation about Ondombele's apparent refusal to play against Brighton and Boxing Day. 
the fact that they haven't included that, but we're going to come on to discuss Mourinho's explosive meeting with Danny Rose. Are you quite surprised, Lee, just by how much Ndombele has been glossed over at this point? I'm not surprised. Uh, and again, like when when we started reviewing these last week, I sort of said, you know, you know, it is the power of the edit. I mean, I think you see in, in these uh, in these next uh, couple of episodes that you know there's there's a lot of people talking about oh we haven't seen Hugo and you know it's been glossed over in terms of his uh, you know his injury um, and uh, you know we, we haven't seen much of Lucas Moura and you know what happens but but actually what they do is that they feature them in later episodes so so it might be that you know they're they're building up a story around Tunga and Dembele a little bit uh, a little bit more. And again, like I said, it's the power of the edit. You know, they're not putting words into people's mouths, but what they're doing is they're editing it up so that they can actually have a good 10, 15 minutes on that on that individual if they decide to show. Um, you know, look, Tungo Ndombele is is our record signing, so that's why we're we're really interested about it. But like you just said, Lacelso hasn't really featured either. Um, Harry Winks has had a couple of bits and bobs, but not really featured either. Do you know what I mean? Like they haven't done a big section on done a big section on Son. Uh, I don't know. They've done a, a pretty large section on on Serge Aurier, on Toby, on on Yan Batongan, for example, in the first three episodes or so. But they haven't really they haven't covered big sections yet. I mean, you see a, a good couple more sections on the players that we'll review sh- shortly but maybe Tonga and Dembele's late, later on I mean I, I can't believe with all the stuff that happened when Jose locked down walls to go out with a run with Tonga and Dembele and all that sort of stuff that hasn't happened yet so 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 maybe in future future episodes that, that will be shown um, or, or, or things to how that got there will, will be shown if that makes sense so I'm not overly surprised if I'm honest okay Jay, coming round to you, one of the snippets from that documentary that we have to discuss in episode four was Spurs playing a game against Brighton in which they fell behind in. And Mourinho explains at half-time there is a need for positivity and belief to turn the game on its head. And that's exactly what we do. Harry Kane leads by example in that second half, bringing Spurs back into the game with Deli Ali also providing a beautiful finish in a 2-1 win. I've got to ask you, Jay, about this so far because I'm talking on episode four here directly that... In the build-up to these episodes, one, two, three, and four, I personally find Jose Mourinho inspiring in a half-time team talk. Do you find that as well, Jay, that even if you was, like I say, one of these players, you just want to run through brick walls for the guy? It comes down to ultimately kind of what you like in terms of your management style. But I think the big thing with Jose Mourinho is that it's Jose Mourinho. And kind of you look at his CV and what he's achieved in the game, He's a guy that you kind of listen to and you respect. You know, a lot of them all kind of talk about great respect for Jose Mourinho and they know exactly what he's achieved in the game. You know, I think one big thing about Harry Kane um, in, in terms of him wanting to stay is because they've got a manager now that knows how to win trophies. Um, you know, everyone knows that this guy has that has that know-how, been able to try and get over the line with Spurs. So I think there is that real respect that it's Mourinho um, he knows exactly what to do. He's been in, you know, he's proved it at every club he's gone to. He's gone and won trophies. Um, so, yeah, of course, you know, he's really got that respect. And, um, yeah, I think ultimately, as I said earlier, it does come down to kind of does that sort of management style fit with, with certain players. But I think at the end of the day, when you, when you see what Jose Mourinho has achieved, um, I think it can be incredibly inspiring. And I think a lot of the players will be very excited to kind of have that opportunity to play under a manager like Mourinho. And sticking with you, Jay, we see 48 hours later Spurs play against Norwich City in which Kane scores his 17th goal of the season where Spurs can only manage a draw and that leaves them five points below a Champions League spot. 
Kane explains that players are not robots and the guys are finding it hard to keep on producing intense performances yeah. in quick succession games. We see Sergio Ria and Musa Sissoko calling family and friends to wish them a happy new year. And Mourinho explains to press high for the game away at Southampton in his pre-match team talk. Jay, I have to ask you again this point, that with Mourinho, a lot has been discussed about his style of football, his philosophy, and players, whether they actually are translating and understanding the message to what he's been asked them to do before game, out on that pitch. And we've seen so far, in the first four episodes, this real keen desire for Mourinho to emphasise to his players, keep pressing high, keep pushing high. Are the players listening to his instructions, Jay? One point he made in one of the earlier episodes is he's come into this team half, uh, halfway through the, because there is an issue in the squad. And I think that that was the big thing. There was, you know, we all knew that this squad needed a rebuild. We've always spoken about it. And that's why he, he became the manager. And that's where he now had to, he had to kind of inherit those difficulties. Um, and of course, as we know, it's not his squad. He's not really had that opportunity or, you know, probably had half a season now to do so. Um, but, he, you know, at that period, he hadn't really had that opportunity to do so. So, you know, again, it wasn't his squad. He had a lot of issues to manage with. And that's where that, you know, that period um, when he when he just arrived was so difficult for him because there were so many challenges to overcome. Um, he hadn't really had that proper chance to kind of get to work with his players, to get to know them properly and um, understand them. So that's why that period, you know, I think a lot of us were kind of quite understanding of the situation um, and wanted to give him that time. He's had that opportunity now. Um, the next season, it's going to be really, really interesting to see because, of course, as we know, he's gone and made some signings, signings in key areas. He spoke about wanting a better balanced squad. Um, we're kind of giving him those players. We're giving him a right back. We're giving him a hold in midfield and hopefully a striker will come. Um, but obviously in that period, um, uh, you know, back in... In, over the Christmas period, um, it was really, really difficult circumstances that he was facing. Chris, coming back round to you, we talk about there, like Jamie says, difficult circumstances being faced. It got even worse for Tottenham. Harry Kane suffered a severe hamstring injury on New Year's Day in that game against Southampton, the defeat. And he's the centre point of the episode. In the days following the injury, we see his teammates desperately trying to find out about their star striker. Deli Ali commenting, your heart sinks when a teammate suffers such a bad injury and the episode peaks into the day surrounding the results of Kane's scan when head of medical sports science Jeff Scott tells Kane he is set to face 12 weeks out through injury. It's clear Mourinho's squad are all deeply gutted for their acting captain with Mourinho calling it a joke. We see the players speculate behind the scenes that the schedule is indeed the reason behind his injury with us later seeing Hugo Lloris left stunned to discover Sissoko had also suffered an injury in the very same defeat at St Mary's. I mean, Chris, cast your mind back to that period. I remember also, I think you, you met... <laughs> I think you met Mourinho on that game at St Mary's afterwards, and he wasn't a happy man. But what was your feelings like no. reliving all that, Chris? Well, actually, you, you brought that up. When I, when I put that in the WhatsApp group, and all of us were very, very down. You know, I was coming home from the game, very, very down. You know, you're talking New Year's Day... We lose the game. You expect players to give 110%. Um, let me go back to a point um, just before this. Jose Mourinho said on, on screen, I want to have these players finish the game exhausted. Now, when you think back to last season, some of the games, 
these players, you know, weren't exhausted when they finished some of the matches. It was very, very disappointing. You know, as fans, we want to see every single player going for 50-50 balls. We want to see players sprinting. We want them, you know, giving 110%. You know, Tongi on Dombele would be a very easy target for me to say, you know, um, Brighton away last season. He, he weren't even at 30%, let alone 100%. You know, the players just weren't given enough. But going back to that point about Harry Kane, you know, being, um, you know, going off injured in that game, as soon as he touched his hamstring as soon as he was limping off you could see on the screen uh you know the episode that we watched Jay Mourinho's face just said it all um when I was in the stadium um all of the fans just knew we all knew that it was going to be a long-term injury you even hear in the episode of me saying if Harry Kane's going to be out injured it's going to cause us problems you then Rick then say about um you know bringing in bringing in a striker of course that didn't happen um that was a key period of time for Tottenham to get a replacement striker in and it just wasn't done. Um, and, you know, the season could have been different had that have been done. But such a shame, you know, when you're, when you're without a player like Harry Kane for that period of time, it is, of course, going to cause you problems. And um, I think that sort of bit us because, you know, you get rid of Lorente, we didn't replace him replacing players when 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 we need them you know Trippier went we didn't replace him and you must replace these players and when when as I say when you saw Jose Mourinho's face of him limping off he's thinking my god you know I've been here for a couple of months it's just injury 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 problem 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 you know you just think when is the guy going to get a break you know all of us fans very disappointed just thinking oh come on this is this is a joke you know he used that word himself it's a joke you know it was it was ridiculous um, but very disappointing day. Um, but it was all all about what Tottenham were going to do in the transfer window, which, of course, as we know now, um, you know, no. <laughs> Not much at all. No, spot on. I mean, Lee, coming around to you, we see Jeff Scott, the physio, break the news to Jose Mourinho over Harry Kane's injury. And the Portuguese boss then relays the message to Jao Sacramento, who says, we're fucked. Mourinho explains if the young boys are ready... They bring a fear to the others, but it's a fear that he loves to have as a squad, you know, eagers the competitiveness. He's very keen to emphasise that point, that, you know, he wants to have the young players in to bring that element of fear to the rest of the squad. And we see Jaffet Tanganga is told he's going to face Liverpool, and he references his point ahead of that game, that Liverpool shouldn't be a normal thing, telling his squad they need to be mentally ready for the game, they need to be aggressive from the start, and they need to be ready to stop shots to block shops Lee give us your reactions then to Harry Kane's injury and the build-up to the Liverpool game you see it from the other side because you, you're seeing the likes of Jeff as you said talking about the injuries you know breaking the news Harry as well he's worried now you never see that before you just see normally Harry Kane's injured at the bottom of a Sky Sports ticker breaking news Harry's out for three months you don't really ever see it from the other side I remember Jamie um, you know obviously you can reference this Jamie yourself but you know, Jamie's a, you know an elite athlete himself in terms of running and when you're injured it's, it's, it's the worst thing that, that, that can happen to you as, as a sports person um, and you never really think of that you don't really think of the human side of things but we're getting to see that human Harry's having to get the news broken to him and he's like oh mate uh, you know I'm going to be out for ages and then Joe's getting the news as well and he's thinking you know like you said you know we're, we're we're effed and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's really difficult. I, I remember being really critical on, on a few of the shows and were, were critical of kind of the way Jose was saying publicly without Harry Kane, we're, we're nothing and this, that and the other. And we're sort of saying, well, you know, you can, other people can step up and other people can, can, can do that role. But when you see what's happening behind the scenes, you can kind of understand, like Chris just said, it was just constant, another kick in the teeth, another kick in the guts. 
another injury blow. I mean, you know, to your star man as well, to your star striker, the fella that, you, you know, is your leader. You know, we've already had our World Cup winning captain and our leader injured for that, that massive period of time. And, and then all of a sudden your captain goes as well on top of the other injuries that you've already talked about. It's tight. It's just, come on, give us a break. So, you know, I, I thought, again, I thought it was really interesting to see the other, so, the other side of that. And, and again, how much pressure the medical team are under. You know, they've got to get, you know, they've got to get it right. They've got to, their job is also to, uh, you know, to get the players fit as well, isn't it, Rick? So, you know, it's really important that, um, that, that they get that right. I, I have to say on Jaffa, though, I think he's absolutely wonderful. What a brilliant story. Um, and the way it was covered before is Liverpool, the fact that, he, you know, he's, he's, his dad talked to him saying, you know, it's massively, it's, it's a, a really important game for you. And then he said, you know, if I play well, it's going to change my life. Um, and boy, did he play well. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant period. I think he played, was it three or four or five or six, five, or four or five games on the trot. And he was he was very, very good for us, you know, being thrust into that into that role. And I remember also getting, uh, we got a lot of pelters. Uh, Tottenham got a lot of pelters for the way we played against Liverpool. But we could have ended up, um, you know, nicking a point or, or winning the game. We had about three or four real clear-cut chances in that game. I remember that Son effort, um, for, for example, in, in the actual game against Liverpool, even though we, we, we lost the game. But Jaffa was brilliant. The, the, the way that they pulled the story together on Jaffa, I thought was excellent. And fair play to him. He's, he's one of our own and wanting to do fantastic. Now, we see Mourinho explain at half-time there's no space for disappointment during the game against Liverpool and the team must keep their concentration. The defeat meant Spurs slipped to eighth in the table, nine points below Chelsea. The team praised Javit Tanganga, as Lee mentioned there, with Danny Rose telling him that he was unbelievable. We then see Deli Alley later in the show ask the physios what their favourite chocolate bars are. And coming back round to you, Chris, I know you're going to love this point, that Jose Mourinho emphasises and explains the importance of the FA Cup to him and how his squad need to take it seriously against Middlesbrough. He says, they'll be coming with everything. We need to play and kill them by playing. And Javit Tanganga after that game is applauded for his man-the-match performance against Middlesbrough. How did you feel, Chris, for you seeing Mourinho express the importance of that FA Cup? Well, let's be honest about it. The previous managers we've had haven't always taken the competition seriously at that stage. I love it. That is exactly what I want to hear from a manager. You know, with all these games we've got coming up and certainly with this new season that we've got coming up, um, you know, I want a manager to be going for these trophies. You know, he he wins trophies. He's, he's won it everywhere he's gone. And, uh, you know, for a manager to come in saying that um, the FA Cup is very important to him, is music to my ears and music to a lot of Tottenham fans' ears because we need a trophy. You know, I keep going on about it again and again and again on every single show about needing a trophy. But, you know, if Jose Mourinho is not the man to bring Tottenham a trophy, then who is? Because he knows how to win these trophies. As I say, he's done it before. Um, but to come into Tottenham and, you know, last season, I don't know, you know, call me stupid, but every single year when we play in the FA Cup or the League Cup, I always think this is our year. Every, every single year I do it to myself. Um, because this year, you just think this year. The year ends in one, Chris. Yeah, it's definitely it this has year, mate. It has yeah, to be. It's, it's, the year I'm, ends in one, mate. Come on. Season, it's... You know, it's got to happen. You know, when you think back, and I know I say this a lot, when you think back, 1991 was the last time we won the FA Cup against Nottingham Forest. Gary Mabbott lifted the FA Cup. It, was just, it just seemed crazy. You know, nearly 30 years ago. It's absolutely madness. That's that. But 
Jose Mourinho needs to come in and he just needs to get a trophy in the cabinet as soon as possible. And I really am hoping that it is this season. You've got to remember as well that, that you, know, you know, whilst watching the documentary, we're seeing the in, in, ins and outs of, of the club and, and how Jose is trying to reverse maybe some of the mentality. You mentioned there about previous managers, you know, Mauricio Portina, I'm pretty certain that he's still got us to, um, you know, a good few semi-finals and finals in cup competitions, you know, that were Carabao Cup and, and Cups. Um, I'm not having a go at Mauricio, you know, I love him, but maybe he was conditioned to go for the bigger prizes. And and, and, and so therefore his his squad, if you like, is conditioned to do that. And, and therefore Jose was kind of almost reversing the mentality that most of that squad or most of them players had been hearing for the last kind of four or five years. Do you understand where I'm coming from? So it's not just a case of, you know, let's go out and win this game. Sometimes it's a case of, in your back of your mind, if you're thinking, yeah, you know, it's fifth round the FA Cup, it's not as important as the next game in the Premier League, you're not going to give 100, like Chris said earlier, you're not going to give 110%. So, you know, Marine's got a massive job there, in, as I think we've all worked out anyway, that the mentality in the football club, the mentality with the players, the mentality, mentality with the staff, the mentality with the board, the mentality with us fans, you know, we, we almost expect not to win. And and he's got to turn that around. And I, I just felt, again, I found that fascinating. I keep using that word, sorry. But I found it fascinating to see how he's going about changing that mentality. Can, can I just say as well that the opening scene of episode four starts with Joe Say's team talk with him questioning the players. And he yeah. said, yeah. how many have won the FA Cup? What are you going to do? You know, how are you going to be ready to win the FA Cup? He's questioning the players. You know, yeah, within pretty, a couple pretty. of you know, the club, he's questioning the players, saying, "How many trophies? How many trophies have you won? How many FA Cups have you won? What are you going to do to get these trophies?" This is exactly what we do as fans. Yeah, We're always yeah. questioning, saying, you know, "What are our players doing?" So true. This is exactly what I want to see, and this is exactly what I want to hear, and that's that's why I'm so impressed so far of what I've seen of Mourinho. And uh, you know, if he doesn't get us a trophy soon, then uh, I will be amazed. Yeah, well, if he can't do it, Chris, probably, I don't know who we turn to next, but just to finish yeah. this this episode, you know, we see Mourinho at the end of it, the very end, tell Sacramento that he has spoken to Ericsson and that he knows by the end of the season he'll be gone and in his head he would like to leave now. And Daniel Levy understands that it looks a very bad signal for the club. The size of Spurs for Ericsson's quality to leave the club on a free, it doesn't look good. And that is the way episode four closes. We are going for a very quick break. When we return, we're going into episode five. Do not go anywhere. Jay, coming round to you to open up episode five. It kicks off with a real bang as we see the January transfer window open and cracks beginning to appear in Mourinho's early months. We see Spurs chairman Daniel Levy saying he reads every email from supporters but insists his critics have no comprehension of how hard it is to complete a transfer Levy's pragmatic approach in the transfer market, particularly in comparison to some of the club's top six rivals, polarises fans, and he's often accused of putting the business side ahead of the club, the success on the pitch. Now, in the summer of 2018, I think many will notice already, Spurs became the first Premier League club since the introduction of the transfer windows not to make a single summer signing, but they broke their transfer record to sign Tungi and Dombele last year, and have already signed three players during this off-season. And speaking in January on the latest instalments of Amazon Prime's documentary All or Nothing, Levy insisted it is a huge challenge to sign players to improve this current Spurs squad. And what I felt, Jay, is that that was a real defiance from Levy against some of his most critical people on social media. 
who don't quite understand maybe how difficult it is to conclude a transfer. Whose side do you want on that, Jay? Because as a fan, I know we've often expressed our frustration on this show at not getting deals done, and we're still waiting for a striker. Of course, you know, there are plenty of times where as supporters, we have been very frustrated with, with what Spurs have done or what Spurs haven't done here. And certainly that's, you know, the summer which you referenced where we didn't sign anyone and then that January. But yeah, I, I think transfers, you know, we, as supporters, we kind of do, we, we don't really understand. And I do think in respects, Daniel Levy is right in saying that, you know, fans don't have that, that comprehension of, um, of understanding what it, how it takes to kind of get a transfer over the line. Um, I think that January is a very difficult time for clubs and especially, you know, a club like Spurs now, where we're obviously at that high level. And it's very difficult to go and find players um, in this in a January transfer window that will go and improve us. You know, we could have signed some of the names that we were linked with. They weren't particularly inspiring, um, you know, and then we spend £20 million on a striker that we don't know potentially is going to come in and be able to um, fill that fill that hole of Harry Kane. Um, so, you know, the options were just very limited. Um, I think in terms of transfers, though, at Spurs, uh, you know, it really felt as though last summer was where we were really going to kick on. I think when we moved into that new stadium, that was the point where, you know, we're going to be able to generate a lot more money through ticket sales, through match day revenue and all, all that that comes with that. Um, and of course, I think we did very well. I think that we signed uh, three players. Now, of course, in terms of we all have that opinion that maybe a lot of, you know, Ndombele and Sessiong have all taken their time to try and get settled in and maybe the success of that, but the money was spent. You know, we spent nearly £140 million on new signings. Um, and of course, with the whole coronavirus pandemic, it has really kind of crushed those plans because we don't have all the money that we were hoping for from uh, the events that were going to happen over the summer. We obviously had that lost revenue. Um, so it is, you know, it, I think it is a very difficult time for Spurs. And it is, it is really frustrating that we, you know, we, we haven't going to have that, that, you know, all that money that we were hoping that would be there. This summer, um, so I think in in you know he was definitely right in in certainly saying that fans aren't don't have that understanding of what goes on, um, but yeah, I thought it was a, a very interesting segment from Levy. Leek, to come round to you, we see Levy is shown during a board meeting in January discussing with club directors what can be done. Getting a striker is very difficult, he references, because Jose wants a very particular style of striker and they're very, very limited. One or two ideas that we're working on, there's lots of bits and pieces going all over the place. We might end up spending money, we may not. We may end up doing a purchase, we may end up doing a number of loans. It's like this, and he juggles his hands. As we know, always activity happens in the last week of the window. He says, we have a budget and putting aside money, there may be a player we all like, but unless you've got a club that wants to sell or are willing to sell, you've got an agent who wants to do business and a player who wants to come here. There's a lots of things that have to come together. And I think generally fans, and he references it, they don't understand the physicality of doing a transfer. What was your reaction to that for you, Lee, when you heard Daniel Levy speaking in his mind so honestly about trying to do business for Tottenham in the transfer <clears> market? I think it, it just gives us perspective. Um, you know, there's there's kind of, like you just highlighted, there's three layers, isn't there? You know, there's the, the, does the club want to do business? Does the agent, the agent um, has got an absolutely key role um, in uh, in making transfers happen? Uh, and may, maybe um, so, some of the fans, certainly myself, until uh, well, we've got a couple of pods coming up, actually, Rick, haven't we, to, to be fair? So that's just shed, shed some more light on it. Know, certainly myself is you know a little bit blind to the fact of you know what, what the agent's involvement is 
Um, and then, of course, you, the third layer is you've got the player themselves. So, you know, everything could be aligning. And then all of a sudden, the player just says, I, I don't want to go. You know, we, we've seen it already in the documentaries with, with other players. It kind of just go, well, yeah, I'm, no, I'm going to stick around. Or, you know, we've seen it in the past with other clubs, for example. You hear the story come out. It's like they're just sitting there collecting their money. I mean, you could say this about Gareth Bale. Um, we don't know the ins and outs, but, you know, for, for, I've mentioned him again on a pod. Get in there. Um, but, you know, you've got to look at Gareth Bale and you think, you know, he's just sitting there collecting his money, but we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. That's why I find this, you know, the documentary all or nothing for, for, for us is so fascinating. So it, it, I, I do I do see their frustrations. I think the reason why, um, you know, the, uh, the the whole situation for Tottenham is, is different is not necessarily just the transfer fee. I think the transfer fee actually is secondary. Um, don't get me wrong, it's not as if we're going out and spending 50, 60 million pound on players all the time. But but what's more important for in that equation is the wages. And the wages are the thing that has always allowed us, or, or, or sorry, in, uh, enabled us to, to fish in a bigger pond since we started to change the wage structure uh, 18 months, two years ago. Um, and although we didn't sign any players in, in the summer uh, of, uh, of 2018, or the transfer to transfer windows, actually, what we did do is not sell any of our star players over that period of time. And what we did do by not, st- uh, were one of the key reasons we didn't sell people is because we changed our wage structure. So, so we are moving forward. That doesn't feel like it. And I am bloody frustrated as anyone else about, you know, getting the transfers in, getting them done early, getting the pre-seasons in. But there is, a, I suppose, the point that you're highlighting and asking me on, Rick, is that, that you know, it is a complex situation. And, and, and I do agree with that. There's, there's other clubs that we will, we will point, uh, you know, us fans will point things at and go, well, why isn't it complex for Liverpool? Or why isn't it complex for Man United? Well, the plain simple fact is that Manchester United have got the biggest brand probably in, in world football or certainly the, the top in the top three in world football and and their wage structure is not a problem so so as soon as they've identified a player they they know that they can afford that player and they can afford they can bring them in on the wage structure and no one else is going to be knocking on the door saying hello where, where's where, where's my pay rise if you're if you're hiring this guy does that make sense so so for you know with, with us we, we've got them sorts of boundaries and, and that's why it becomes a little bit more complex I th- again I thought it was really really insightful you know to to you know see Steve Hitchin for example I'm sure you're going to come on to you know talking about transfers and being on the phone and trying to get deals done and, and actually the insight again this is something I'm really passionate about of how they're going to fit into the club you know a lot of people have given uh, the club a lot of stick for signing Tungan Dumbele, for example, about his attitude. But you can see in this documentary that we do go into the, the players' behaviours, the players' family life, how well grounded that they are. And, and, and you know, they, them, them stats, them uh, behavioural circumstances, the attitude of the player is so important to if you're going to bring them on. And, and by the way, you know, I've worked in recruitment myself for 20 years. And you know, this is something that fundamentally is uh, I've built my businesses on. And, and and it is true, you know, whether or not it's, it's somebody in an office or somebody, you know, you know, I don't know, driving a van or somebody who's playing elite football. You know, if you haven't got the right attitude to work for that organisation or to play for that football club, it's not going to work out. You know, you've got to be aligned culturally, behaviourally. Are you with me, Rick? So, so I thought it's really insightful and really um, important to start to see them things. So sometimes we go, ah, we've seen this fellow on FIFA; he's amazing. Like, let's get him in. But if he's if he's if values don't uh, sit with the with, with the with the way the club is run, 
or if it's a wage problem or if it's a transfer problem or if it's the agent don't fancy wanting to do it or if a club don't want to sell or his behaviour or his attitude's not right. I, I mean, I've just listed off, what, five or six things there? That's why transfers are so explosive, but that's why they're also so complex. Totally agree. And what I did actually find really fascinating was during that section was we saw Ericsson, Davis and Kane joke that Harry Kane's right boot is worth 200 million when he hasn't got a <laughs> yeah, hammy. Brilliant. I thought it was a great little section there because, you know, it was I think it was Davis saying, you know, what's the harm in letting players develop? Why do we always have to yeah. go and make a transfer? Why can't we let players progress naturally, give them the chance? And They were saying that, weren't they? They were, they were talking about that, like we talk about it, like us fans talk about it, like, come on, why can't we just have that development? And, you know, they are in that bubble. They are them players themselves and they still think the same things. I, I, again, I totally agree with it. I thought it was a brilliant part of the, of the documentary. It was indeed. Chris, coming round to you, we see Steve Hitchin, who was named the Technical Performance Director, has, has been working as a director for football of some time, and he's also interviewed about transfers at the club. He says the January transfer window is the worst window. It's a window of opportunity. It's a window of panic. It's never a window to plan, and he absolutely hates it. He references that he works on the metrics which Jose gives him, for what a Jose player is in each position, and he works on the parameters of the finance that the club gives to us. He then later adds in an episode that when you look at the squad, it's a settled squad as you'll find in the Premier League with a great group of guys. Our edges act togetherness, so it's a spirit within the group that once it's broken, it's very difficult to repair. I think what's also very interesting, Chris, is that he said the club has been in a position for probably 12 months taking away the Champions League where we've known we've had to rebuild this team. We just feel this is a time for some players to move on and some new blood to come in. What was your reaction, Chris, to Steve Hitchens' interview there? I agree with him uh, about the January transfer window. It is definitely the worst window. You know, a lot of teams do panic. A lot of managers do panic. And perhaps some of these deals that are done, uh, done through pure panic. But he also said that players... Um, that are now attracted to the club are very different to what they were five years ago. Um, and going to the going back to the point that um, Jamie and Lee spoke about about Daniel Levy. Daniel Levy also said, and I've and I've written down this uh, note. Um, I quote Daniel Levy. He said, uh, "I get very frustrated at the end of a transfer window if the team isn't in a better position than when we started." I can see why lots of Tottenham fans get very frustrated with uh, Tottenham Hotspur Football Club and Daniel Levy of not spending, you know, much money in in transfer windows. It's such a shame that this Amazon documentary didn't have more of Maurizio Pochettino in it because I would love to have heard um, from Pochettino about transfers. I would love to have heard his thoughts on not spending a penny for 518 days because, of course, all of us Tottenham fans, you know, you and Jamie in particular on Twitter, you're putting out content every day um, saying about Tottenham being linked with this player, Tottenham are going to sign this player next week, etc., etc. You know, lots of these uh, rumours don't actually materialise and we, we don't actually sign players. Um, fans will be very frustrated because all we keep hearing is that, you know, there's more stadium events, extra income coming in. Um, Daniel Levy is the best paid chairman with the eighth richest club in the world, record profits. Um, you know, you just keep hearing it again and again and again. Um, and as Lee said, you know, if uh, why, why Liverpool pl- signing these players and why Tottenham not signing these players? Um, Bruno Fernandes, for example, going off to Manchester United. They've just signed uh, Donny van der Beek as well. Look at Chelsea. Look at the um, deals that they're getting done. When us Tottenham fans constantly um, are being told that it's very difficult, uh, you know, by Daniel Levy, it's very difficult to to get deals done. 
you know, you need to get the agent to agree this, you need to get the uh, teams to agree this, but all the other teams are doing it. And when we are in key positions and when we finish runners-up in the Premier League to Leicester, that was at the time when we should have been investing. That is, the, that is the time when we should have been putting serious money into the squad and making us Premier League contenders. 1st of June last year, Champions League final. Um, you know, you don't get bigger than that. We have to build on that. Yes, we spent money in Tonki on Don LA, yeah. but over the years, when you when you go back, you know, even five, ten years, some of the transfer windows have been very, very poor, and you know, some of them have been non-existent, and it's just simply not good enough. And when you've got a, a club like Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, where we're thinking about trophies all the time, you know. Jose Mourinho's come in. Yes, he's talking about winning the FA Cup. But really, us fans, we want the ultimate prize. We want to win the Premier League. We want to win the Champions League. We want to go big. And that is why it was such a, a great event last year of us reaching that Champions League final. But if you realistically think, you know, you know, when are we going to go for the Premier League and s- spend serious amounts of money? Because, as I say, we just keep hearing about all this money keep being um, you know, put into the club and uh, Daniel Levy being the richest paid chairman in, in the Premier League. You know, so I can see why a lot of the fans are very, very frustrated and, you know, when we don't spend money in all that time. And I'm just hoping that when you've brought a manager like Jose Mourinho in, you are now seriously going to back him and give him exactly what he needs to focus on the job that he wants to do. I think it's a great point there, Chris. You mentioned that it was a real shame that we didn't see Maurizio featuring more of these particular sections about transfers about targets about what you know he brought in because it would be fascinating to see just if you know what Daniel was saying there that Pochettino was in agreement with but you know last January Spurs subsequently we did sign Jetson Fernandez on 18 month loan deal from Benfica with an option to buy him for around 15 million euros we're led to believe that's still there that still can happen I very much doubt it, but who knows? Football's got a way that of surprising. That can stay there, mate. Not being funny. That can stay there. <laughs> we all, we also, come on, 50 we, million. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, we also saw the arrival of PSV Eindhoven winger Steven Bergvine for roughly 25 million. And the episode then goes on to show Spurs take on Watford, where they slipped to eighth in the table by only managing to secure a point thanks to Paolo Gazaniga's penalty save. And the fact that we hadn't scored in three of our last five Premier League matches. The ball, of course, in that game, only a fraction from going over the line in what would have been a huge win for Tottenham. But the main part of episode five, coming round to you, Jamie, I'm sure Jason will be listening to this avidly, is the Danny Rose section. Now, Danny remains at this moment in time Spurs' longest serving player. He arrives at Hotspur Way early one morning for a conversation with Jose Mourinho, bearing in mind he was not selected in the squad for the Watford game and little were we prepared for what was about to unravel so to put it bluntly he accuses Jose Mourinho of favouritism and his teammates being shit in an extraordinary showdown between the left back and the Tottenham manager I mean Jay let's get your reaction first before I go into the quotes what was your reaction to him actually pulling Mourinho First thing of that morning. Very surprising, and obviously, I think a lot of people when they when they do watch it, their eyebrows really will raise in terms of a player speaking to his manager like that. I mean, it was quite bizarre, to be perfectly honest with you. There just seemed to kind of be a real lack of respect for Mourinho's decision to to not put him in the team. Um, I understand in a way when he said, you know, I'm playing every once every four matches. How am I meant to kind of perform when I'm, I'm, you know, I just haven't got that consistency in my game. 
I think just at the end of the day, though, he just kind of wasn't really at that level, though, that Spurs needed. Um, you know, again, Jeff Tanganga came in and kind of performed really well as a left back. He had that really good game against Middlesbrough in the Cup. Um, so, that you know, there were players that performing better than he was. Um, and yeah, it was it was just really quite shocking to see. And it was just a, not a very good attitude at all. Um, you know, when he mentioned about, look, if you don't want me, I'll go and train at home. That, that's completely the wrong attitude when you've got a guy like Jaffet Tanganga in the squad who is adamant that he wants to go and prove himself to Jose Mourinho, that he wants to give his best. But then you've also got Danny Rose, who's coming out and saying that if you don't want me, I'll go and train at home. It's just uh, you, that that's not the attitude that you should be showing. It's, you know, I go and perform in training. I give everything in training. Um, and it, 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 I think it's kind of that situation where, you know, this squad maybe did need it to be refreshed. And, and, and a player like Danny Rose was one of the players that we needed to move on. You know, Lee always mentions about the contract rebels. Well, of course, Danny Rose, you know, obviously not contract rebel, but a guy that certainly was probably causing issues in that dressing room. If he's willing to speak to his manager like that, I'm sure he's a guy that will go behind the manager's back and, and kind of cause issues in the dressing room. And I think Danny Rose probably was one of the the, the, the issues in that dressing room that's caused us to kind of um, not be the team that we once were in terms of we just lost that kind of that togetherness, um, that belief in, 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 the, in the club, in the team. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a really quite shocking um, moment that. Um, and... Yeah, I think a lot of people now, it's it's really is the time to permanently move Danny Rose on. It doesn't surprise anyone, I think, that Danny Rose hasn't reported for pre-season training so far as we understand it to be here in the last word on Spurs. It'll be interesting to see if Danny does report back to pre-season mm. for training for Tottenham because, Lee, coming around to you, I mean, just to emphasise that point mm. again, that this is the morning after he was left out of the squad for the second game in a row. He requested the meeting from Mourinho. I say requested. It was almost like, can we have the meeting now? And it didn't look like Mourinho had much of a choice yeah. in the matter. But, you know, he described later the selection of Vertonghen and Tanganga ahead of him as a slap in the face and suggested Spurs are trying to sell him to make money. Um, we did see Rowe subsequently go and join Newcastle on loan. But, I mean, Lee, the things I really want to pull you up on is that the fact that, you know, you always are a man to reference the point that, you know, we need to have a together squad. We need to have players that are all fighting for, sure. for the same thing. And what amazed me in that episode is he was very, very clear that he was willing to throw his other teammates under the bus by, you know, simply indicating that, bus. you know... Under the crazy train, it, well, His, his, word, his, words, were, train, his words were, this defence has kept two clean sheets. They play every game. It's not fair. And then Mourinho says, that's your perspective, Danny. And, you know, he storms out and says, well, do you know what? The, the whole change room know it's facts. It's not fair. And I'm going to go see Daniel. And that's, you know, tell Daniel, when Daniel's in, I'm looking for him. I mean, what's your reaction, Lee, to that meeting? It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, but it was absolutely attitude. Um, I've got no problem with um, Danny asking for a meeting with his, with his manager, with his coach, with his boss, whatever. Uh, that's completely normal and, and, and that's fine. I think the way he went about it, it, it became quite confrontational quite quickly um and that was on danny's part i have to be honest you know you know when he's talking about it's not fair it's not fair i'm the best left back um at tottenham and you know i can understand why he thinks it's a slap in the face because he's got not uh, he hasn't got uh, specific left backs playing ahead of him because he's got jaffet who's kind of a makeshift left back if, if it makes sense so i can understand that but what what really got my goat on this on on that whole um scene if you like is that 
Not only did he go and start, you know, you know, being a bit, oh, it's not fair, like throwing his, uh, his dummy out of the pram type thing, which I just think is unacceptable for a pro- professional human being, um, especially somebody so seasoned as Danny Rose. Um, but what really got my goat is the fact that Jose told him why he picked him for the Liverpool game, because he trained so hard the week before. In fact, I think I can quote something along the lines of Jose saying, I picked you for the Liverpool game because you were outstanding in training that week. You were outstanding. So instead of Danny taking that information on board and going, okay, cool. So Jose, what do I need to do in order for you to pick me week in, week out? Take some coaching off the guy that's won, you know, 26 plus trophies and actually start to get some understanding. What can he do? He he already made his mind up in his head that he was going to go in confrontational, tell it, you know, spout out some facts that he's still the best left back at Tottenham, slap in the face and he's going to go off and see Daniel. And that, for me, is exactly the reason why he shouldn't be a, a, in the team or at the football club. And he, he he didn't go in there and say, right, do you know what? I want to knuckle down. I really want to play for this club. What do I need to do, Jose? And Jose says, well, you need to do this, this, this. Right, I'm going to go and do it, Gaffer, and I'm going to prove you wrong. Jose would have respected that, but he didn't do that, did he? And he just he just threw his toys out of the plan. And, and I think that's that's the problem. And then, then, you know, ultimately you see him, you know, storming out of the office, don't you? And, and you just think, what, you know, I don't think any of that was for the camera other than the fact that I respect the, I respect Danny Rose's, he's, he's outspoken. And I respect the fact that he, you know, he tells it how it is as well. But there's, there's ways to approach um, that situation. And I'm afraid he got it all wrong. Chris, I am fascinated to get your insight on this because during that debate, we then see Rose afterwards say to the camera, look, I have to be able to have an honest debate or conversation with someone. He's a very straight talker. He refers to Mourinho here. Obviously, I do want to play every weekend possible, but at the same time, I know football doesn't work like that. He says everybody has a price in football and sometimes when you get to a certain age or a certain number of years left on your contract, people who work within a football club will think it's now time to move somebody on. And what did, you know, again, Chris, made me laugh was um, later that day where Rose and Levy had a conversation in the staff canteen where the left-back asked the chairman if he followed up on the interest from AC Milan. And he said, no Milan at the moment. No, no Milan at the moment. He said in a separate meeting that, you know, Bournemouth and Newcastle to Mourinho are the only clubs interested in signing Rose. And he's actually damaging his own (laughs) career by setting his sights so high up. And it's, you know... He was very honest there, Levy. I've got to be honest with you. I mean, what did you make, Chris, of the whole situation and also Danny requesting Levy to follow up on AC Milan's interest? If some of the listeners have not watched a single minute of Amazon documentary yet, just forward it to this part of Danny Rose with Daniel Levy because it is hilarious where Danny Rose is thinking that he's going to get this wonderful move to Milan. Um, Daniel Levy then says, no, Bournemouth and Newcastle are interested. Bournemouth can't afford your wages, but Newcastle might take you. And then Danny Rose looks seriously at Daniel Levy and says, uh, what about Milan? And Daniel Levy just goes, no, no. It was just absolutely hilarious. I know I probably shouldn't have laughed at that point, but I just found it so funny where um, the reality was just so different to Rose's dream um, of going off to Milan because as Lee just said, you know, Jose Mourinho said, I picked you for the Liverpool game because you played well. You were excellent in training. Why don't you go off? You know, you're a, you're a team player. And nothing in that conversation was about the team. 
He threw his team under the bus. Everything about that conversation was about me, me, me. That's all it was. Um, I thought it was disgusting the way that he uh, spoke to Jose Mourinho. You know, you need to have a respect for your manager. You need to ask what your, um, you know, what you can do to improve. You can ask what you can do to get back into the team. Up to that point, I genuinely believe that Jose Mourinho is going to give Danny Rose, um, a, you know, a, a go in the team. You know, he played him in the Liverpool game. It wasn't good enough. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, all of us fans demand that Jose Mourinho or any Tottenham manager is putting out the best possible 11 at that time. If Danny Rose isn't part of that, then it's tough. You know, you need to, you need to move players on. Um, you know, he's had a good Tottenham career, but the way that he acted in that scene, I thought was disgusting. But um, I think that Danny Rose has always thought that he was going to get that big move away from Spurs um, to a club like Manchester City when, you know, of course, Carl Walker went off yeah, and won the trophies. And I, and exactly. I, I, his mate went, didn't he? His mate went, Carl Walker went, and he thought he was going to Man United or whatever in the same £50 million pound deal, never materialised. And, 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 he's, and he's, it feels like he's held a grudge ever since, personally. And, and you know, I think to this day, I still think that Danny Rose has got it in his head that he yeah, will be going to some... Milan or Manchester City or I really do. You're right, you're right. I mean, I was laughing, Jay, at the time when I saw this, thinking, did me or you, Jay, in the last year or so, I was going to look back through my tweets, I haven't. I don't remember linking Danny Rose, or I'd say linking, like, like I linked him or like we linked him, but I don't remember a source saying Milan were interested, Jay. Do you, do you have the top of your head? Can you think? There's a lot of bollocks out there, don't get no, me wrong, we put out, but I can't remember doing that one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember he was linked with Paris Saint Germain, and it yes, is just yes. crazy because Paris was. you know that. I don't remember just Milan. Not, though. Just, Do you remember Milan? Yeah, James? no, I, I can't remember it, but no. yeah, I mean it's you know clearly wasn't his level, um, <laughs> and it was it was a very funny scene, and as you can imagine, you know Jason, as soon as he heard that, oh, straight God. onto WhatsApp messaging us all. Yeah, um, found that totally. Funny. So, yeah, we all should laugh at that. The, the thing is, guys, and, and listeners as well, what, what's so ironic about this, and we all, we all agree that, you know, it was just a ridiculous situation the way he acted. Um, but what's ridiculous is that, you know, up until obviously this season, we're a top four club. We've got the best stadium in the world, one of the best managers in the world, one of the best training grounds in the world, all that good stuff that we hear about. So he's, he's, he's up for this big move away. But, but actually, all he needs to do is get his head down and get back to some of the levels that he's shown in the past and, and he could still be at this wonderful football club. You know, that that's the whole irony about it. He's, he's got his eyes on some other prize, Milan or City or wherever. And, and, and actually that, that, you know, the dream is, you know, Bournemouth and Newcastle, no disrespect, but, you know, look at the contrast. But actually, if he got his head down and worked his nuts off, like Jose was basically telling him to, then he could be in the team. But he, like you say, he's threw his teammates under the bus, telling them that they're shit. I mean, and this is a guy who is sitting there going, oh, well, the rest of the teammates are shit. They're shit in training. They ain't kept a clean sheet. And then he's sitting around having breakfast with them. How do you think he's influencing them individual players? You've got players that are coming in like Jaffik Tanganga. Yeah, I want to I be amazing. Then you've got Danny Rose sitting there eating breakfast with him saying, oh, man, this is shit. Do you see what I mean? Like, of course, anybody that works in a team at any level will, will understand that is not good. Surely that is not good. We've got to be able to come to an agreement with Danny to, to move on. And I have to say, I think he's been a wonderful player for us. It, you know, certainly 15, 16, 17, 18 seasons was absolutely brilliant. You know, he he become the best left back in, in, in the Premier League. But, but he's nowhere near that level at the moment and he needs to be able to realise that and, and, and get back on it. And certainly the way that meeting went was just not 
not the way to do it. You know, it's just, it typifies the whole feeling for me. And again, wonderful insights, but it typifies a whole feeling for me since we lost the Champions League final. That scene for me just typifies the club. And, and that's what we're, that's what Jose is working against. He's got to change that mentality around. The left-back wasn't the only player looking to leave the club in January, with Christian Eriksen having a meeting with Daniel Levy and Jose Mourinho about his desire to leave for Inter Milan during a time when Spurs were really struggling with injuries. We see Eriksen meeting with Levy and Mourinho in the manager's office. The chairman tells the Dane that the club have never wanted him to leave, later revealing that he'd offered to match the wages by any other club that would come to sign him in an attempt to show Mourinho that Eriksen's decision to leave was not motivated by money. And this is what actually he said. He says, look, I said to Jose, I just want to make it clear from now, Tottenham's viewpoint, I've always been consistent here, is that we don't want you to go. From a financial viewpoint, I've always said to you, whatever another club is offering, we do exactly the same. So there is no doubt in your mind that your reason for leaving is not a financial one. Do you think for you, Jay, that was quite important for Amazon and for Levy in this case to get that on camera by the token fact that it wasn't about money? It was never about that. It was the fact that he yeah. just wanted a new challenge. Well, what, one thing that we've certainly, you know, we've moved away from and that is really, really good now is that we've been able to keep hold of our lot of our best players, you know, over recent year, over, you know, recent years, um, you know, maybe 10 years ago or so, we, we always lost our best players. And that's something that has changed. And, you know, we have been able to keep hold of our best players. Um, so that is something that's really nice to see. You know, we've been able to keep some, we've been able to keep Harry Kane. And that's something that has changed at Spurs. And, you know, because we've, begot, we've gone up to that next level, that the club have taken us to, you know, by building the training facilities, by building the best stadium in the world. You know, we now have that capability. And of course, we're able to attract a manager like Jose Mourinho. We were able to offer them bigger wages. So, you know, I think in that respect, the club do deserve a lot of credit for, for taking us to that level where we now, lo now no longer lose our best players. Um, but look, on, on the Christian Eriksen situation, um, you know, I remember touching on it a, a long time ago before it even happens. It's a situation that I do hope that Spurs go and learn from now because as soon as as soon as Christian Eriksen kind of in, indicated to them when the, maybe they started talks over a new contract that he wasn't going to sign that new deal, that's when you've got to kind of maybe think to move him on because we lost out on a lot of money. You know, we, that obviously we needed to rebuild the squad and Christian Eriksen, who's got two, three years worth of contracts, you know, that's a guy that's that's worth potentially nearly £100 million, if not more. Um, and, and Spurs lost out on a lot of money there and a potential to, to go and rebuild. Um, so I do hope that kind of when we have that situation where a player is adamant that he's not going to sign that new deal, that we go and maybe think to move them on sooner. Um, you know, towards the end or that last year or so with Christian Eriksen, um, that, especially that last season, there was a lot of times when he really was a passenger um, and then, of course, he became a complete passenger um, for this, the half season that he had uh, last season. So, you know, we, we missed out on a lot of money. We missed out on a player that kind of didn't really look committed at times. Um, and as I said, it's, you know, hopefully it's a situation that we don't find ourselves in again, that we learn from, that when a player wants to leave, that we look to move them on sooner. Chris, coming round to you, I think it's very clear the relationship between Eriks and the club is a good one. And any rumours of this kind of falling out beforehand were completely untrue. Levy makes it clear the decision to let him go was a real reluctant one. 
and the delay was simply to get a fair price in order to find an adequate replacement during a spell of a multitude of injuries for Tottenham. But what I wanted to ask you, Chris, alongside Ericsson, I want you to have your view on that, is also Harry Kane's comments, because Harry has been increasingly linked with the idea of leaving Tottenham in this last kind of year, 18 months. And his response to Christian Eriksen's departure, it did seem quite poignant to me. He said he wanted a new challenge. You can't blame someone for wanting to try something new. And, you know, if Spurs struggle this season, I just wonder, Chris, do we kind of fear that Kane feels that kind of same way in the future? What's your thoughts on that? You know, you can't blame someone for wanting a new challenge. Exactly right. Um, Christian Eriksen wanted a new challenge. I thought that Daniel Levy actually came across very well there. Um, I was very impressed with him and Jose Mourinho sitting in the room with Christian Eriksen. And I was very pleased that it wasn't about the money. You know, Christian Eriksen wanted a new challenge. Fair enough. All of us in life, we all want to go off and do, you know, something else. We all want new challenges in our life from time to time. And Christian Eriksen was at that point. I'm not surprised, really, because... Think about, um, you know, I'm going to say about trophies again. You know, when we haven't won trophies, all of these players have left. Christian Eriksen, Jan Vertonghen, Pochettino. You know, the, the list is endless, really, yeah, of all these yeah. players. Yeah. Keep leaving and, uh, you know, not winning a trophy at Tottenham. So I don't blame players, you know, for leaving because they want a fresh challenge. And that's why I think that we do need to show the intent. But um, I think it's very interesting when you go back to the days of Pochettino, he always used to say in the press conferences, whenever asked about players' contracts, that he knows nothing about it. It's absolutely nothing to do with him. But then we see this scene of um, Daniel Levy, uh, Mourinho and Christian Eriksen all talking about the contract, you know, what's happening about the contract. And I think it's very, very important for a manager to be involved in those discussions because it was obvious that Pochettino was never involved uh, in in these in these situations before, and that's why I think that it's a shame that we 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 saw so little coverage of Pochettino as our manager in this Amazon documentary. But the relationship with uh, Jose Mourinho and Daniel Levy so far in this documentary, I've been very very impressed with it. You know, a lot of people, and I said this last week, a lot of people thought that their relationship wouldn't work, but they seem to be in each other's pockets every day. You know, from the way the documentary comes across and you you know, it might be the power of the edit, um, but the way it comes across that those two are very close. They talk about absolutely everything. They talk about players. They talk about players not playing, players in the starting lineup. Um, I would never have thought that these conversations would have taken place uh, with our chairman. And, you know, I, I actually quite like it. I actually quite like it that the chairman's involved. And I actually quite like it that the, um, you know, Jose Mourinho includes him in that. And, and, they, and they sort of, uh, you know, Go, go off one another and, 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 you know, and discuss all these situations. So I think that that is only a good thing for the future. And I know this episode is a bumper one, so we've got to try and squeeze some of these bits in. We see Danny Rose leave the club to join Newcastle United on loan. Towards the end of episode five and the opening of episode six, we see young Dutchman Steven Bergwijn arrive at the club. It is clear from his arrival that he's not only delighted the club have signed him, but also Mourinho comments that he attracted him for such a long time. But Bergwijn was equally delighted to be at Spurs, something the fans would love to see. Whilst having his medical, we see one of the club doctors comment that Man City await Bergvine in his first game, with the youngster saying he'd only ever face teams like that on the PlayStation. Unbelievable stuff. Fans are given a glimpse of what it's like in the early days for the new signing, which entail Bergvine on a house hunt in London, joined by Michelle Vaughan. The youngster tells the club 
having somewhere his family can stay is absolutely crucial for him, as if you weren't warming to him already. With these series spanning nine episodes, the opening chapters certainly set the rest of this series up rather well. A reoccurring theme throughout All or Nothing so far has been Mourinho's attempts to make Spurs more nastier. He puts this into practice brilliantly in episode 5, when he points out with admiration of how Pep Guardiola's Man City players surrounded the referee to try and pressure him into awarding them a second penalty during that game against them at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. He says, The difference between a team of those FNCs and a team of good guys, Jose tells his players, the story of football is that teams are good guys that never win. So FNL, be a team of Cs. He then highlights which City players are on yellow cards, encouraging his team to get them sent off. And in the second half, City left-back Zinchenko is given a second yellow card and Spurs win the game 2-0. What did you make, Lee, of that scene there and how Mourinho is urging his players to be more nastier, to be more dominant and, of course, be more Cs? Again, it might might be parody edit some some of the stuff we're seeing, but still, I could say you know my word again, fascinating. But it's fascinating to see because he's literally given them. Like you, you mentioned earlier, you asked Jamie earlier, do you think the players are um, you know following the orders um, or following the instructions? You know, we wanted to get uh, people nastier. Song gets sent off. Um, you know, a couple of uh, in in the previous episodes, um, yeah, an uh, episode three, sorry. And then, you know, he talks about kind of being nasty. He talks about, look, recognising, he bangs the board, doesn't he? He's got the board up with, uh, with the pitch on with uh, where um, the Man City players are playing. And he bangs the board. He's on a yellow card. Walker's on a yellow card. Sinchenko's on a yellow card. And he hammers at home. And then lo and behold, they go back out there and Winks uh, has a, a blinding bit of pace in that game and uh, draws the foul in and Sinchenko uh, gets sent off. And it's kind of like that's so that's so bizarre, isn't it? Like he was literally. So I do think they are following through through with the messages are getting through, and you know that that tactical and the game plans and that sort of stuff. It is you can see in this episode, or certainly against the Man City game. I think again from memory, I think we got battered in terms of possession, didn't we? Absolutely battered. You know we were defending for our lives, doing the low block, all this anti-football stuff. Probably had fifteen percent possession or whatever it was, but we won the game two 0 um, and you know, and like you say, uh, Sinchenko got sent off. So yeah, it is, it is the insights into how things are going and what he's trying to do. I can't have any anything more than respect for for Jose Mourinho. I have to say, I'm, like Chris, I'm, I'm massively impressed with how he's how he's come across and and what he's trying to do. I mean, swearing a lot, definitely using the c word floating about. It ain't, ain't great for me personally, but you know, uh, for from uh, from a point of view of um, uh, you know what he's trying to get over into yeah. the players. He's trying to drill it into them, mm. and th- and that's his way. You know, hopefully we'll see the the fruits of uh, of that labour this season for sure. Yeah. Just to finish up on this, I want to just give this an opportunity for both Jamie and Chris to comment on that. Jamie, coming around to you, how did you feel seeing that from Mourinho? The impact of that team talk and how the players. You know, I asked you earlier about you know are they listening to him? They clearly were listening to him on the back of that reference point. At this point, they had had that opportunity to maybe work under him a little bit more. Um, and again, you know, it's Jose Mourinho. And when he's got that, when he comes in with that sort of respect and that, you know, his CV of having won so many trophies, he's a guy that you go and listen to. And I guess that, you know, it was really quite funny, actually, um, as Lee pointed out, when he was um, listing the yellow cards and they go and listen to him in terms of, and, and Zinchenko obviously gets sent off. Um, and, and that kind of is a, a sign that they are starting to listen to him. I think, 
you know, it was going to take a while for him to come in and get put his stamp on the team. And I'm sure that will only get better now that we're kind of bringing in players that he'll want and fit the team. Um, and he's had that opportunity to drill his message in. Um, but yeah, it was obviously, it was, you know, it's been really interesting to kind of see um, them starting to learn his different ways. Um, and yeah, and hopefully it just continues to get better. And that Man City game was obviously a, a fantastic moment in the season. Um, and I'm sure, you know, as, we, as we, we, we saw in the second half, we ended up scoring two goals and won, went and won the game. So clearly they are starting now to maybe listen to his messages. They're starting to understand him. I think, you know, towards the end of that, uh, the end of the season as well with, with the Leicester game. You know, that was a perfect, perfect Jose Mourinho performance where, you know, maybe we didn't have a lot of possession and we defended extremely well, but we went and scored three goals on the counter-attack. And it does feel as though, you know, they are learning his messages. And as I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's been really interesting kind of getting an insight of those team talks. Chris, come around to you just to give you the opportunity just to comment on this thing. Because it is quite, again, I, I mentioned that point earlier, poignant scene in this documentary for you. Did you enjoy seeing that team talk from Mourinho? Because I haven't actually asked you yet. For you personally, are you feeling inspired, Chris, watching him deliver some of these team talks? Because for me, I would absolutely love, I would love to be playing under this man. I'd absolutely love it. I absolutely loved it, I must say. And uh, if you think some of these players in the dressing room, they would be in absolute awe of a manager like Jose Mourinho coming to Tottenham because what a real coup it was for Spurs to get, you know, someone who's been there, done it and, and got the T-shirt. And like Stephen Bergvine said when he signed for Tottenham, you know, a game like Tottenham v Manchester City, you know, he plays on the PlayStation. You know, he would have seen Jose Mourinho on the PlayStation, you know, growing up as a, as a young kid as well. And, you know, now actually to be playing um, at one of the best stadiums in the world against the Premier League champions for one of the best managers in the world who has been there and done it. You know, it must have been an incredible feeling for Steven Bergwijn to make his debut in that goal. But it's all about Jose Mourinho, uh, you know, making Tottenham stronger, making them mentally stronger as well and just tougher as a team because that is where I think that we fell down, um, you know, big time last season. And, uh, you know, it might be small steps, but Jose Mourinho is building and uh, hopefully it will build very, very quickly and bring us trophies. I hope so, Chris. These trophy talks, it's got to happen, isn't it? We keep saying trophies. We keep mentioning the word trophies. All I hear on Chris Cowling on this documentary is bloody trophies. Come and deliver some, for God's sake. We are going to go for our final break of the show. When we return, episode six is coming your way. Hello and welcome back to the last part here of The Last Word on Spurs on this show where we're giving you an absolute bumper review of the Tottenham Hotspur documentary, All or Nothing, episodes four through to six. Episode six, Lee, starts with reinforcing the point that Mourinho hasn't been able to progress the team as he likes due to the injury crisis. And Stephen Bergvine explains how he feels at home and the club make him feel like family after receiving a massage from the physio staff. We see Mourinho gives Sonny a massive hug and calls him the king of Korea. There's a daily medical meeting with Jeff Scott and his team to emphasise how they have to take more responsibility for the players during this period. And we see Eric Lamella emphasise just how much he's absolutely desperate to play despite carrying an injury. And Lee, we're going into a period in this documentary where it really is like Holby City or casualty, where it's all about the injury news, all about dealing with injuries, coping with injuries, the medical staff trying to it's cope, incredible, Mourinho trying to cope. I mean, crazy start to this episode, Lee. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely crazy. You're right. It was like a hospital. Um, it was like a hospital. I was going to say a hospital waiting room, but it was like a hospital, wasn't it? There was more people in the in, on the injury list than there weren't they're fit. 
And I think, you know, it's very poignant about Eric Lamella as well. You know, he gets a lot of grief, um, you know, sometimes from me as well in terms of he should be moved on and this, that and the other. You know, he, he has been dogged with injuries throughout his career. Um, some, some really big ones as well. But the desire, uh, uh, you know, we j- just talked about attitude and behaviour and the desire from, from Danny Rose, play complete opposite with Eric Lamella. And that's why you like him and that's why you want him in the team and that's why he's still in and around the squad and still plays for Tottenham because, you know, yes, he's, he, he might, you know, dither on the ball and, you know, he, you know, yes, he might not make the right decisions sometimes and, mate, he's not the, the, a world-class player. But but in terms of you know the attitude and, and and what he wants to do, he wants to play for the football club, don't he? And you know he loves the football club. He wants to play for the football club. And even though he's got a niggling injury, he wants to play. And and I think that that goes a long way. The whole attitude piece goes a long way. But in, in terms of the injuries, I mean, anyone that's watching this now or has watched uh, episode six. Anyone that sits there and says to me, you know, oh well, you know, we should have been doing better on the pitch. Come on. We had so many injuries at that period of time. It was ridiculous. And, and, and I love the way Jose explains it, I think, in a press conference when he talks about the duvet. Um, you might come on to this, but he talks about, you know, it's like we're, we're in bed, we've got cold feet. So we put our cover over, the duvet over our feet to warm them up. But then, we, you know, our body gets cold. So then we have to pull it back over. And it's kind of like, it's just kick, kicking the gut, kicking the gut, kicking the gut. But, uh, you know, I, I always say, this, you, know, uh, you know, you have to go through bad times in order to get to the good times. Um, you have to go through pain in order to get glory. Um, and, and I know it's all about to dare is to do. And, you know, game is about glory. I, I'm pretty convinced now, um, if I wasn't already before, that, that we're going to see the glory again under this football manager. And, um, but we've had to go through some pain. And I think that's what brings everybody together. That's what brings that team spirit and that team family feel back together because we've had to nurse not only through all of the injuries, but everything else that's been going on. And, 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 and we've got through it. I think that was the reasons why we've seen, um, you know, Jose react in the way that he has in, in, on certain things. Like when we qualified for Europa League and all that sort of stuff, so you know, I think that it was a, it was an explosive episode for me. Again, given insights into how much pressure I've said it three or four times now, the medical staff and behind the scenes are, and actually how big their team is, Rick. You know, they've got a big team. He's got like nine massive people, team. I think, yeah, working under Jeff. And I thought that was quite interesting. You know, where's the massive team working under Steve? You know, everyone talks about transfers is the most important yeah, thing. Well, he had one person. We see no scouting network, do we? We see no scouting exactly. network. It's a great where's, point. Where's, where's the scouting network? Where's yeah. the silos? Where's the data that they're getting from so these true. areas? It great must point. be coming. It's a fantastic yeah, but, but, point. But, but, but actually, when you look at the medical staff, we've got nine of them. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I thought that was quite interesting to, to pick up on as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, Holby City, mate, spot on. <laughs> it's a cracking point you mentioned there about Steve Hitchin. We might see more, like I say, in future episodes. But one of them, again, touching moments in this one, Jay, coming around to you, is we see Lucas Moura sneak his way into a Spurs tour where, you know, he surprises a young Brazilian fan who runs up to him for a hug. And then we later see the Amazon cameras go to Moura's house where, he says he has the opportunity to make history at Spurs. He shows that Champions League semi-final ball and where it is in his house. And he describes that game as the best game of his life. I mean, tell us, Jay, for you, you know, that, that emotional connection. That, 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 that part, I have to say, firstly, because that kind of was later on in terms of his house. But 
the introduction of you know him coming into the tour was a lovely moment for the little kid, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly, and it shows you kind of the power of football, really. I mean, you, you know, there's not many walks of life where you can kind of have that impact on someone in in, in making their day like that. And Lucas Moura does seem like a, a, a genuinely really nice guy. Um, and yeah, it was obviously really nice to see that sort of moment. Um, but look, I mean, when he was, you know, when he was speaking about the Champions League uh, semi-final and what an amazing achievement it was, and as a player, you want to win the Champions League, and that's the big one. It, you know, it just killed you when he kind of spoke about it. You know, we lost, and of course, he didn't get to play. It absolutely killed you, and and that's one thing where. You know, with a lot of these players, we have become very emotionally attached to a lot of them and it would be absolutely devastating. You know, we've already seen Pochettino, as Chris said, you know, we've already seen Pochettino leave, um, Vertonghen leave and Ericsson leave without winning a trophy. And that's why we need it because, you know, we've got all these players that we absolutely love. You know, the likes of Harry Kane, Heung-Min Son, um, Deli Ali, um, all players that we love and we want to see them lift the trophy, not not just for us as well as supporters, but we want to see their kind of their hard work for the club, um, their love for the club and all they've done for the club. We want to see them rewarded and getting that trophy and having that kind of that that moment with Spurs where they've actually gone and won something. Um, and that's where it'd be really, really devastating if, if the likes of those players don't win that trophy. So, you know, that is really the focus now for Spurs, going and winning that trophy. As as we've mentioned, it's, you know, it has been so long since we've won that trophy. And I feel as though there is kind of that um, real lack of belief at the club. But Mourinho, I think, is, is kind of that man to bring that belief. But yeah, uh, really nice moment with, with Luke, involving Lucas Moura and that supporter. And um, yeah, as I said, it was obviously difficult to watch him talk about the, the Champions League final. Um, but hopefully we'll see them lift from Super Bowl soon. Yeah, I totally agree. Coming round to you, Chris, talk about trophies. It means I have to come round to you. We see Mourinho explain to not have any lack of complacency ahead of the FA Cup match against Southampton, where he tells the squad they're just two games away from an FA Cup quarterfinal. He said, again, one of the points I find fascinating, Chris, from the outside looking in, it's perhaps a surprise that England captain Harry Kane is not the skipper of Spurs, where he's undoubtedly, you know, the star player. However, from this footage from All or Nothing, you know, what we do see, I think, is how impressive Hugo Lloris is as a leader. And, you know, in contrast, you know, we see Lloris speak brilliantly at half-time in the FA Cup win over Southampton. And it's clear that his teammates, they really do hang on his every word. And, you know, Mourinho at half-time in that game really emphasised the point that the players, they have to give more. They have to feel that they're going to give more. And he tells Sonny and Lucas to have more objective and faster decisions in their play. And, you know, after the game, we see Mourinho tell the squad that, you know, if they make a lot of noise, they'll get an extra day off. We see Moura going absolutely mad with the trolley and making noise. And it's just, again, Chris, you know, a real behind-the-scenes thing there because as fans, I think Hugo Lloris, he's overlooked a lot in terms of this word captain, you know, leader. And, you know, everyone says, oh, you know, he's won trophies, you know, with France and, you know, he's, he's a World Cup winner. But we do see, Chris, there really just how much he does give to that dressing room. I loved it. Absolutely loved that scene. To see Hugo Lloris all fired up, telling the players to take responsibility at half-time. You've got Jose Mourinho in there saying that, uh, you know, we need to believe and we need to uh, have the mentality. Jose Mourinho even said um, as well at half-time that the players need to feel more and uh, you have to feel. And if you're not ready, you know, it's better off not to come. And I thought that was a, a wonderful thing to say at half-time, to just get the players really G'd up and say, look, if you don't want to play here, then 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 don't turn up. Because, you know, we want 
every single player to be given 100% whenever we put that, you know, whenever the players put that shirt on. And to have a real leader in Hugo Lloris, you know, really shouting, uh, very, very passionate, saying to the players, come on, you've got to have responsibility, you know, for, for your actions in the second half and, you know, go through to the next round. And when you've got a leader like Lloris and you've got a leader like Jose Mourinho with them too, you know, it's hard to um, not believe that Tottenham will go forward, you know, with uh, with leaders like that. I totally agree. I really do. And I say one of the fascinating things also, come around to you, Lee, is that we see Mourinho tell the squad if they can beat Aston Villa, they can still finish in the Champions League places this season. And then we see Ben Davies discuss his rehabilitation from injury with Mourinho explaining his importance to the team as he's a left-sided centre-back that can play on the inside. And I think it's important to make this reference that we know with Ben Davies on this show, you know, I think me personally, I don't give Ben maybe anywhere near the credit he maybe deserves because I've always been a man that loves to see, you know, real fast, fluid, attacking fullbacks. Swashbuckling is the reference I use that are going to bomb forward. To be fair with Ben, as I've always said, gentle Ben, reliable, dependable, you know, a six or seven out of ten a week. Maybe not always going to tear it up being a man of the match, but um, he's pivotal, isn't he, to Mourinho's plans by, you know, that short clip we saw about Ben there in the Amazon dock. Yeah, 100%. And again, just echoing what Chris said about Hugo, I was really impressed with Hugo um, in in these last couple of episodes and the way that he took uh, that, that, that kind of captain's armband back. And I wasn't expect I didn't expect it to be like that, actually, that that vocal. Uh, very impressive, very impressive. You've got, we've got a good guy there for sure. Um, hence, he's our, our, our club captain, clearly. Um, I think with Ben, uh, again, is a perception thing, isn't it? You know, like you've just said it all there, Rick. You know, I can't disagree with you. You know, gentle Ben, you know, six, seven out of ten every week, you know, solid. But you know, the way Jose described him when he talked to him about that he can play as a left-back, we can play for a little bit further up pitch, but he can definitely cut in, come inside and play as a left-sided centre-back. And I think all of us have already known, and Jace always makes a point on, on, on all of the shows in the past as well about how important it is to have a, a genuine left-sided centre-back. Losing Yang Vertonghen was uh, was key to that because obviously he was the only real left-sided centre-back. So, you know, Davis coming into that side and Joso likes to play with a right-back or even a right-wing-back now with uh, Doherty um, uh, coming into the side, pushing right up. We've seen Oreo push right up on the right-hand side and therefore, Ben can come in and just tuck inside and make a make a three at the back. So he, he's clearly integral to his plans. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And you know, and and again, to be fair to Ben, he might not you know be uh, screaming and shouting and so on and so forth, but he does go about his business really, really well. And there's there's nothing wrong. We all all of us, I think, in 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 work or in life or in uh, in football, for example, you need dependable people. You know, you know that you can rely on him. Jose knows you can trust on him. Yeah, he is a steady Eddie. And, you know, at at the end of the day, maybe we'll be talking about something different. You know, it's ironic, isn't it, that they play in the same position. But on on his debut, the the, the guy that we just absolutely lambasted, stuck in a 30-yard screamer against the Gooners. And and only after um, lockdown, when we beat Arsenal 2-1, uh, ben Davies hit the uh, hit the crossbar, and in fact, if he'd have levered that in the back of the net, would he have become a bit more of a legend because he'd scored against the Gooners with an outstanding strike? So, you know, again, fine margins, but you know the, the stats are there. Um, you know, when, when Ben really, uh, um, when Ben and Trippier, if you like, really took over from Rose and Walker. Um, you know, I think it was in the 17-18 season. It might have been. You know, he's he's got some really good stats. So I think that he's there. He's not swashbuckling, absolutely. Um, but he's he's somebody that you can trust, and Jose can trust, and that's the most important thing. If Jose trusts him, then it's good enough for me. 
Indeed. Now, come around to you, Jay. We see Hummin Son score in the very last minute to secure a win against Aston Villa at Villa Park. With Mourinho telling the squad at half-time they have to kill the game when they get their chances. We see the medical staff discussing Hummin Son's injury to his arm, which he picked up against Aston Villa. They discuss with Sonny about going for an MRI scan. Sonny shouts, please, with a concern that he won't be able to play. He says he will not miss any game and understands the pressure of Harry Kane being out. And he goes on to reference, he sees... Football without no life at all. For him, football is his life. He has no life without football. And again, it's just a reference in that point there, Jay, that he gives his absolute life to the game, doesn't he, Hummin Son? Son always really, really like about him. And of course, he's had to do it a lot over the last two seasons, is stepping in the absence in Harry Kane. And he always has seemed to do that very well. He always seems to kind of rise to the occasion. You know, a lot of the Champions League games, particularly against Manchester City, really stepped up in. And then, of course, even in that game against Villa, he, um, you know, he scored that winning goal. And he is a guy that really does always step up um, to the plate for Spurs. Um, and that, that's been really great. But again, you know, it was another huge injury blow. And again, it was just Jose and Marino unable to catch a break, really, at Spurs. And as I said, you know, he, he, he said knew he came into the squad um, because there was an issue. The manager had to be sacked and there was obviously an issue in that squad. He then had, obviously, injuries um, mounting up, and that's why it was so difficult. Um, and, and that's why maybe we were so disappointed with maybe the start that he made at Spurs. And, and to lose Shung Min Son and Harry Kane, as I, as I made the point at the time, you know, that's taken, that took 50% of our goals that we'd scored that season out of the team. And, you know, there's obviously the, you know, the effects of missing two players of that sort of quality on the pitch. But I think mentally as well, when you know you've got those two sort of players out, and, and it, it comes back, you know, you see Deli Ali, the concerns that he had when he saw that Harry Kane was going to be out. There's that mental blow for the rest of the team. They know they don't have their number one striker in the team. And now they know they don't have a player like Hume Min Son in the team. And that's where it was really, I think, a, a big psychological blow for everyone. I mean, even Jose Mourinho, as you said, you know, he obviously was very concerned when Kane was out. Um, and, you know, it's the same with Hume Min Son. You t had so much out for the team. Um, and yeah, I think that that's where I had a lot of sympathy for Jose Mourinho and understanding and maybe why, you know, he was adapting. Mourinho is a guy who knows how to get results. And that's where a lot of the time, yes, we were so disappointed with the, uh, the performances, but a lot of the time they were still getting results. And and, that, and that's kind of where I always trusted Jose Mourinho. And, and I feel as though towards the end of the season, we started to see when he had those players back, we started to see better football we started to see more um effective football and um yeah as I said at the time that's where I had a lot of sympathy sympathy for him because he he uh had to deal with with such big injury blows at the time we see Daniel and Jose discussing the possibility of saying Champions League and top four is still possible Chris one thing I do want to get your thoughts on is Mourinho's second downfall at Chelsea infamously began with him berating the team doctor Eva Canero for treating Eden Hazard on the pitch when he was wasting time and his prickiness towards the medical staff certainly not abated. I want to ask you, Chris, you know, how do you feel in terms of how he was managing that relationship with Jeff Scott? Because clearly, you know, Jeff Scott is a very well experienced guy in terms of the doctor and, you know, his team. They seem to know what they're doing, but Mourinho encounters with them kind of leave you a bit squirmish in your seat as he demands that players are returning quickly from injury. And, you know, we saw that situation where the, the toss-up between Sonny going for an MRI or, you know, not going for it. I, I just felt a little bit uncomfortable there. Was that the first sign for you, Chris, in this documentary where we maybe saw a bit of a dark side to Mourinho? 
being a manager, when we won that Aston Villa game, we were one point away from top four. And then, of course, Hunmin Son uh, was then, you know, ruled out. Jose Mourinho, I think he's very right to question, um, you know, the medical staff, you know, that he's his staff at the end of the day and they're working under him or for him. You know, so he's right to to question that. And, and of course, with the amount of injuries that we had at that time, Hunmin Son was a very, very important and vital player to the squad and the team. You know, he got the, the winning goal at Villa Park and uh, it was just like another turning point in Tottenham season where... You know, a lot of the fans, I remember coming away from that game thinking, finally, you know, we've got another three points, you know, we're one point away from top four. You know, perhaps this is a, a defining point in Tottenham season. We can finish in that top four. Again, we can get Champions League football. You know, Jose Mourinho had been in charge at the club for, what, three months or so. It was very important, you know, to just keep winning. Uh, Daniel Levy, uh, the staff Christmas dude, like what, what we discussed earlier, had already given him that target of top four and a trophy in the season. You know, Jose Mourinho is under a lot of pressure, gets a lot of pressure from uh, the media and a, a lot of pressure from the fans as well, you know, to constantly win. So I think he's very right, um, you know, to, to question every single thing that he is told from from one of his staff. And I think that he is just pushing people to, to, to know, you know, what he can get away with and what he can't. And, you know, to, to have a player like Hun Min Son to be ruled out, you know, for, for that amount of time and, and to realise that Hun Min Son and Harry Kane are going to be out at the same time would have just been absolutely devastating news. So I think it was just Mourinho clutching at straws and just saying, look, is there anything that we can do? Is there anything that we can do to just keep him playing? And I think that he was fully right to do that. To come around to you, I'm going to ask you the same question there because it's one of those things where, you know, Mourinho emphasises that he wants to play with his dream team. However, injuries are absolutely destroying his work. You know, we see Sonny's injury is confirmed and it could keep him out for the rest of the season. We saw Mourinho explain to Jeff Scott how he had broken an arm when he was younger, but on match day, he cut the cast off to play. I mean, how do you feel, Lee, about in this particular period, how he's coming across? Do you feel in any way that he was being prickly? towards Jeff Scott there? Yeah, a little bit. I, I wasn't that uncomfortable with it because I felt, again, I'll just go back to, you know, the, the things that I've been saying about the medical team and how much pressure they feel. You know, there's no, there's nothing wrong with putting pressure on, but I think Jeff said it in, in the previous episodes before, is that their sole purpose is to put the player first, you know, their health and well-being first, and, and that's what they've got to do. But they've got to balance it as well with making sure that Jose gets what he wants. So uh, I, I just, I, I actually thought, again, it was, it was good insight to see it. Didn't, it didn't make me feel uncomfortable. I don't think Jose was, um, you know, in the heat at the moment, maybe he was suggesting, look, let's just get him to play. But like Chris said, I think, you know, once all said and done, I think he realised that, you know, the injury, I just don't think he could believe that, that after everything that had gone under the, uh, under the bridge already with, Kane's injury and all the other injuries that we had all of a sudden the man that's stepping up and he was on fire as well Son playing really well he scored against City as we know he scored two uh, last minute winners we just referenced with, with Villa as well I mean he played majority of the game with that with that fractured elbow didn't he to, to be fair to Son uh, again just absolutely gives it his everything love, the, love him so much um, but I don't think Jose was suggesting really that he should be playing with a broken broken elbow and cut his cast off before the game although he did use that as a as an example I just think he was thinking man come on give me a break um, because you know not only one of his, uh, his star strikers has actually been injured the other star forward or is he a striker or is he a forward who knows it's, it's another debate um, he also gets injured as well and then obviously when he realises that when the scan comes in 
he's going to be out for that period of time. I mean, at the time, it was he ain't going to play again this season, was it? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, it's a fine balance of the intricacies of running a football, as a football manager, running a football team and a, and a football club. Um, again, I just thought it was fascinating. The physios are then turning their attention to getting Eric Lamella ready and fit to face RB Leipzig with the Argentinian saying how desperate he is to help the team. And then we see the cameras go to Lucas Mora's house, as I referenced with Jamie earlier, where he explains he's had only good memories, good, good memories since he joined Spurs. The most special was Ajax, where he describes that as the best game of his life. And then the episode closes with Jose Mourinho running through the tactics for the first day against RB Leipzig, with Mourinho telling the squad, it's all about mentality. As long as we have to defend with the two banks of four, we defend with Delhi and Lucas, the same as you did with Aston Villa, and to play with confidence, ambition, and don't give away chances, we have a chance. His words are, they're going to give us chances to fuck them. They are aggressive on the counter-attack, with Mourinho again emphasising the most important thing is mentality. And we close the show by seeing Hugo Lloris lead the rallying cry in the dressing room before kickoff, And I'm sure, like I say, episode 7 will take us more into the fallout of that game and what's to come. But let's just quickly do a, a minute summary per person and what we've made of episodes four to six. Jamie, coming around to you, give us your minute summary there of those episodes four to six. And has your opinions changed from the first three we saw last week? Really interesting. There was a lot of content this time. Um, I mean, particularly the transfer stuff was really interesting to kind of get a look at, um, you know, the discussions that go on in terms of the transfer. I think that that, you know, the Ericsson stuff and listening to kind of the negotiations that were going on and Daniel Levy uh, explaining why what he wanted to happen from the situation. And then Ericsson, of course, having his, you know, his turn to respond. I think it was really interesting to kind of get that insight. Um yeah, I mean, Jose Mourinho has, of course, come across really well and he's obviously a guy, I think, now that a lot of people's perception on him will change and kind of the way that he he goes about uh, conducting himself as a manager. Um, but, you, you know, he's shown that he, he he really is still very motivated to be a top manager and I still think that he's shown signs that he's got that potential to go and do something special with Spurs next season. Um, so, yeah, I'm re- really excited now to, to kind of see what Jose Mourinho can do next season. And of course, you know, there's plenty more to come from from what's going to happen, um, you know, in the, in the next coming episodes. Let's go round to you, Lee. What's your thoughts then? You've seen episodes one to three. Now you've seen four to six. Yeah, sure. What, what, anything changed in your it. mind? Any, any, has anything changed in your mind at all from the first three to what we've just seen? Can't get enough of it. I'm absolutely loving it. You know, Im- imagine being able to, um, you know, to do this every week throughout the rest of the, all, all of the other seasons. I mean, you know, a- unbelievable. Uh, maybe this should be a, uh, something that Amazon do for, forever, you know, for all football clubs, who knows. Um, but, I mean, in terms of summary, I, I absolutely loved uh, the Hugo references that we've made and what you see in the, in the, in the four, five and six episodes. Uh, really, really confident uh, that, uh, on, on Hugo. Love the banter bits. Absolutely love them banter bits that we talked about through, through, through the review show. Um, love Jaffet segment. Absolute wonderful, wonderful moment for him. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to be a star for us, especially with coaching, with the coaching from uh, the King, who is Ledley King, of course. Um, I really, really like the insights as well into the transfer market stuff and into Steve Hitchens' side and how that actually works. I, I'd love to see the size of Steve's team, to be fair. So may, hopefully we get that in the next episodes. Um, and, and also as well, um, you know, the injuries. Um, and the way the medical team, Jeff and the, and the team actually work and how much pressure there is 
on 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 that team. And, and, and I'm 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 assuming obviously that he's like that in in, in most football clubs as well. You know, when you see the stadium, uh, sorry, when you see the training ground, the facilities they've got there, and how the, the, the you know the, the the team is working uh, behind them scenes, I, again, I, I find that fascinating. And you know, for for me, the, the, the biggest kind of uh, I suppose negative or angry part really was you know the 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 stuff around Ericsson leaving and Danny Rose you know that that whole meeting piece but three another three brilliant brilliant episodes and look what's not to love it's our wonderful football club and we're getting the insights to see it and I love it I can't wait till seven eight and nine. Amen to that, Chris. Closing the show with you then. Give us your thoughts as your perception changed at all from one to three I feel like now four to six we are starting to see a more prickly side to Jose Mourinho as we came to the end there of episode six anything for you really stand out really kind of catch your eye player wise manager wise team wise love seeing the uh, everything in the changing room I, lo- I love all the banter bits like Lee said but I love what I'm seeing in the changing room at the moment I'm absolutely fixated on those scenes you know to see Hugo Lloris be such a leader because I know he's our captain, but he does seem very quiet on the on the field a lot of the time, you know, because when you see Joe Hart come in and, you know, during these friendlies, Joe Hart is constantly uh, screaming, constantly shouting, constantly encouraging. You don't really see that from Hugo Lloris on the pitch. You don't, you don't really see or hear him, um, you know, talk a lot. So to see him in the changing room and be like that with the team is absolutely fantastic. Um, as I've said many times, Jose Mourinho is really impressing me every episode that goes on, he's impressing me more and more just to see the way that he is dealing with players, dealing with situations, um, you know, the way he dealt with the Danny Rose situation as well. And, you know, Danny Rose certainly needs to sort himself out, you know, as soon as possible. And let's hope that Tottenham can somehow get some money for him um, and he can go and, you know, go to another club. Um, but I just love the banter bits. I think that it's very, very funny. You know, the the Sonny bit with uh, Tanganga about the contract, you know, Deli Ali talking about the toothpaste, Deli Ali talking about the chocolate bars. It's just... Very, very funny bits, which you would see and probably hear in, you know, lots of different workplaces and you wouldn't really imagine, um, you know, Tottenham players to be doing. I, I do think that that's very, very funny. Um, and I just love the way that um, it follows different members of staff as well and just get a different perspective of, you know, how the club is run and, um, you know, different departments and so on. And, you know, it perhaps wouldn't have gone down the medical route had Tottenham have not had so many injuries. So it was a real insight for all of us fans to see. Absolutely love that, guys. Absolutely love that. So there you go. We've done one to six so far of the Amazon documentaries. This show is coming to you very, very early. We've been very lucky where we've been provided with early access by Amazon. We thank ever so much for that. It's given us the opportunity to actually bring you the review earlier than obviously anticipated for you guys watching it. So listen, we hope we haven't spoiled it for you. Bit late now to say to you, if you haven't listened, go back and watch them. But we hope you've enjoyed this review. We are going to be back with you probably this time next week, looking at those final episodes, seven through to nine. Thank you, as always, for all of your support. If you've loved The Last Word on Spurs, if you've been listening to our shows and you haven't yet left us a review, you can go over to iTunes to do that, and we greatly appreciate it. As always, keep the faith. Thank you to my wonderful team there of Lee McQueen, Chris Cowling, Jamie from The Daily Hotspur. Come on, you Spurs. You said that people have perceptions of you. What do they say? The guy never smiles. The guy is ruthless. And what's the truth? The truth is that there is some truth on it. <laughs> Nothing can replace a feeling of playing football at this level. The team is the engine of the club. We've got an amazing squad here. Oh, leave it out. <laughs> it's only the second time that I get a job in mid-season. 
never seen so much coverage. Twitter, Instagram. Oh my god. All that Jose Mourinho. Pain! If you make a lot of noise, I give one more day off. What happened to us this season is impossible. Another injury is the last thing Spurs need right now. How do we do that? Tottenham are out. We are on shutdown. Coronavirus has led to the cancellation of all football. Well, the team are good guys. But good guys, they never win. Play aggressive. How is that right? Play, please. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.